Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to John's newsletter, our regular podcast. And we're going to do an Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast today because there was an important election in Taiwan over the weekend that has a lot of bearing on the future. And so we will bump back Marvin Gaye. Very excited to do the culture for you next. What's going on? The great album, the great concept album, incredibly underrated. Back to Jan Wenner not understanding that women and uh, African-Americans can also be profound, as he said, they weren't articulate enough to come up with great music. So challenged by that ridiculous statement, we've begun by looking at Joni Mitchell's Blue, and we'll move on to Marvin Gaye's What's Going On before going back and looking at some probably white men, a couple rock bands that I think are important. We'll look at the Pink Floyd, probably, before it was Pink Floyd, and the legend of Sid Barrett. And we'll probably look at one of my favorite bands, The Birds, which are another underrated band, which influenced Dylan and the Beatles as much as they influenced were influenced by them. So a lot to look forward to, but we move this along because William Lay's election this weekend in Taiwan merits a discussion because, as you know, anybody who follows our community knows that the Indo-Pacific is where it's at. All the future global growth of the world, the lion's share of global growth comes from here, and also the lion's share of political risk. By the end of the 21st century, the world is going to be tripolar. There are going to be three great superpowers, almost certainly the United States, China, and India. That's a very positive world, an Anglosphere with an Asian twist we can live with. But the disruptive power in this, the power trying to unseat an Anglosphere-dominated world, will be China. And the name of the game, of course, is the Indo-Pacific. And the name of the game in the Indo-Pacific is Taiwan, which is the Berlin of the new Cold War between the United States and China. And we'll get to that. We're going to start small and head big to show why this matters. William Lay, uh, an independence-minded former doctor, is set to be the new president of Taiwan. Uh, he won a decisive victory over the weekend. He did better than the polling beforehand. And this will infuriate China and increase the military and diplomatic tension across the Taiwan Strait. Um, Lei is a member of the Democratic People's Party. This is their third victory in a row. This is the more pro-independence party as opposed to the Kuomintang, uh, the old party of Chiang Kai-shek, which ruled as a dictatorship um, into the 70s and 80s. The DPP have won three times in a row. And this is largely because of a change in society, that until really the advent of the DPP, uh, the people in Taiwan had sort of a mixed view. Were they, were they Chinese? Were they Taiwanese? Of course, Shun came over after the Chinese Civil War with a million people and came to dominate the island on an any kind of Maoist front, but was certainly a dictator. Uh, but as time has gone on, uh, Taiwan has become a very wealthy a country, and I'm going to call it a country, so be infuriated all you PRC fans, a very wealthy country, and the people have more and more identified themselves as Taiwanese and not Chinese as the generations have moved on. And this has really helped the DPP because William Lay, um, even more than his predecessors, has said very simply, look, in essence, Taiwan de facto is an independent country. It has elections, uh, democratic elections, it has its own legislature, it has its own laws, it has its own foreign policy, it has its own president, 
Uh, it has its own trade policy. So in every conceivable way, it's independent. So we don't need to say we're independent. We simply are. Because if they were to declare independence, this is the red line that almost certainly would, would spur the People's Republic of China, mainland China, into invading. So his attitude is, why do that? Because we already have everything we want. And it's this insouciance, this kind of feeling that, you know, we don't need to worry about it, sweat the small stuff, because in de facto, we're running the world. And this is a very, very important point that matters greatly for what's going on here. So I would say, keep that in mind, and this is what drives them absolutely bonkers, Xi. Because Xi would largely agree with William Lay's There's Witch, Witch, and To My Head Researcher Complaining, uh, because this is kind of what's going on at the moment, that both sides agree. This is what Xi would say, but with great worry in his voice. Yes, it certainly looks as though Taiwan is behaving like an independent country. And yes, the DPP winning three elections in a row proves our strategy isn't working. Uh, in the past, when the DPP have been about to win, the Chinese have threatened them. There have been overflights. There's been hectoring language. There's been bullying. And that didn't work. That merely helped the DPP do even better than it should have in the first place. Um, and that hasn't happened. Um, on the other hand, this election, they were much quieter. That didn't work. So it really isn't about tactics here. It's about a fundamental change in outlook. Um, and that's what really matters. And so this is the key factor to keep in mind moving forward. They've tried everything tactically, but it doesn't matter because it isn't about tactics. It's several generations of democracy. It's even more generations of a Taiwanese becoming a first world economy, a booming economy, a Western oriented economy. And so for all these reasons, the tactics don't matter. It's the strategy that's changed. And that's what's really to keep in mind. And both William Lei and Xi Jinping would probably agree about this. Uh, Lei would say that this is a very, very good thing. Xi would say it's a bad thing normatively. But on empirically what's going on, there would be fundamental agreement. And that's, and that's the danger. Uh, because Xi has made it very clear, uh, as recently as November in, in San Francisco, when he met with President Biden, that one way or the other, and he'd rather it be peacefully, but one way or the other, um, Taiwan is going to become part of China. That, that to join the holy or unholy, in my view, trinity of uh, Deng Xiaoping and Mao Zedong, Xi has to do something big. And what he wants to be remembered as is the man who reunited the whole of China. And the Chinese communists, as a litany when you meet them, tell you, look, we were humiliated and to reunite our country and the basis of their power, the mandate of heaven, their political legitimacy is founded since Deng Xiaoping on capitalism and nationalism. And the capitalism point is easy. They've turned things around. But on the nationalist point, uh, the reality is, is simple, that, that Xinjiang province in western China, home of the Uyghurs, has to remain part of China, Tibet, Hong Kong, Macau, and of course, lastly, Taiwan. It's the last piece in the puzzle for a, from their point of view, reunited China. William Lay flies in the face of all this. He says, look, we're not a renegade province. By every means, we're a separate country. And the problem for Xi is he fears that William Lay is right. And so it makes the threat of invasion more likely. And so that's, that's what's happened. So it shows the failure of Xi's policy. And then the last reason that the Chinese policy has failed up to now, 
very clearly. The last reason is that Hong Kong didn't work, that the notion of one country, two systems, which the deal between the British and the Chinese, Deng Xiaoping and Mrs. Thatcher, about Hong Kong was based on, was that Hong Kong could continue on for another generation, much as it had been quasi-democratic, capitalistic, broadly pro-Western state, even though it was part of China. And China wouldn't interfere with that. One country, two systems. Well, we saw what happened with that. We saw the Chinese communists stamp down the kids and the student revolts. And really, now Hong Kong is just another Chinese city. So it's one country, one system. The Chinese certainly went back on their word to the British. Nobody can do anything about that. But that's what's happened. And as a result of that, when you say to the Taiwanese now, no, 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 we'll have one country, two systems, the Hong Kong example is ever present in their mind. I remember when this happened, I said the political risk fallout will be Taiwan will be increasingly skeptical of anything the Chinese communists say. And that's indeed what happened. Why wouldn't they be? Because the empirical, again, history is everything. The historical evidence is the Chinese are simply going to gobble it up after making false promises. And so this has helped the DPP too. Again, Lei did better than it was expected. He came in with about 40% of the vote. Hao Hu Yi, who was from the Kuomintang, had 34% of the vote. And Ko Wenji of the Taiwan People's Party had 27%. So it was a three-way race. The interesting thing was that if the opposition parties had managed to get it together, and they tried to have an alliance, the Guomindong and the new Taiwan People's Party, they would have won the election rather decisively, but they couldn't agree on who would be the president, whether it would be Hu Yun Yi or Kuo Wen Jie, so William Lei won. But he won with only 40%, so a plurality in a three-way race rather than a majority. And at the parliamentary level, it's even more interesting because neither the Guomindong or the DPP won a majority. The balance of power in the kingmaker will be held by the Taiwan People's Party, which has only eight seats, but that will be decisive. So issue by issue and case by case, William Lay's going to have to work with the opposition. You know, this is the first time there's been real divided government in Taiwan. And so this will be a new political dynamic uh, that, that it's going to have to happen. And uh, this is the first time, though, in the island's 28-year history of democracy that a party has won the presidency three successive times. And this is what uh, William Lei is exalting and what Xi Jinping is bemoaning, that the Guomindong, despite its background as, as Chiang Kai-shek's party, is the one that says we need to talk to the Chinese government on the mainland. We need closer ties with them. They might say we don't want to be gobbled up by them, but we have to be closer to them in order to maintain the sovereignty we have. The DPP has the opposite view. We need to be as independence-minded as possible while never talking about independence. And so of these two approaches, the DPP approach is triumphant now three times in a row. Um, and it's the voice for the increasing number of Taiwanese who reject the possibility of unification. And interestingly, Again, well over 90% of people don't want unification on Taiwan. 94 was the last number. An overwhelming number. See the results. See the oppression of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang province. See the oppression of Tibet. See the oppression in Hong Kong. And these things matter. And they don't want any part of it. And so this is another reason the DPP um, has done well. Uh, William Lay's interesting because he, he has very limited international experience and a poor command of English, which is um, not normal for a DPP leader. But 
despite this, uh, he is certainly going to be strongly pro-American um, in outlook. Uh, also, B. King Sal, who is a uh, who has an American mother, and B. King Sao is the woman who is his vice president. She went to high school in the United States, has an American mother, and recently served as Taiwan's de facto ambassador. And so although he's not going to lead the charge and be the face of the kind of pro-Washington tilt, B. B, B. Kim Sao, his, uh, his vice president, will be leading the charge. So there's someone at the top levels of politics there who has very close ties to the Americans. Uh, again, though, he's lost his majority in Taiwan's 113-seat parliament. The Guomindang, at last count, at 52 seats, the DPP 51. The Taiwan People's Party hold the balance of power. They have only eight seats, but they are indeed the kingmaker. Um, and so we have the DPP triumphantly returning to power, largely because Xi is scared the horses, unlike Deng Xiaoping, who said softly, softly, basically Deng's approach was in a generation, we'll revisit all these issues. China will continue to grow. The United States will continue to be fractious. And so we'll, by in a very quiet way, like boiling a frog, take over without anybody noticing um, and become so important to Taiwan, but they have no option but to negotiate some form of um, reunification. Because again, the people in Beijing view Taiwan as a renegade province, fantasy though that is. And, history, and again, it's not historical. China has, has almost never run Taiwan, very limited amount of time. It's been a colony, Korea, certainly of Japan, uh, but, the, but that it's somehow a, an integral part of China is a fantasy, but one that Xi believes in, and that's what matters. And so we have the DPP win. So in the short run, this will increase tensions. There have already been nasty comments from Beijing. Uh, they will try to isolate them in terms of trade and diplomacy, as they've done for the last eight years. And Xi has gone so far as that if the DPP are in power, he has said, we simply won't talk to them. So there's absolutely no form of communication whatsoever, which is not true when the Guomindong have been in power. And so that, that also is different. So in the short run, look for a lot of, a lot of noise, storm and drang, but don't look for an invasion. And again, one of our calls this year is that China is very unlikely to invade. Reason for this is that the army isn't ready. Xi said, according to the American CIA, and it seems to be right, William Burns, that 2027 is when Xi wants that capability to be possible. It certainly isn't now. They've, they've just gotten rid of, there's been a purge at the upper levels of the Chinese military uh, for corruption, uh, ostensibly. The new head of the Chinese armed forces, there's been a new defense minister, is head of the Navy, which leads you to think that, and again, it's confusing, it's called the People's Liberation Army Navy Plan. Um, he's now the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in China, uh, but they're in no position with new leadership militarily just coming in to invade anybody. It's not when you invade someone, you wait till your leaders are in place, have a plan, are comfortable with their jobs, know what they're doing. And then you have an invasion. That's how it works. And the problem is that they're a long way from that. And this goes back to my prediction that the years of maximum peril are going to be between 2027 and, say, 2030 or 2032. Um, that in the medium run, China will have a position and, and we have to be prepared. The good news is, so that's, that's ostensible bad news. But the deeper good news is that China's uh, threatening strobe charm offensive with Taiwan isn't working. And the Taiwanese have made it very clear, abundantly clear, they don't want to be part of mainland China. 
The next step up is that they have to put their money where their mouth is, though. Their defense spending is European in patheticness. Until recently, it's been nowhere. And they're now even, what, what they are spending, they're buying fancy stuff when they really should be buying counterinsurgency realities that they need to arm quickly. They need to ramp it up and do it now. There's no more time to waste. And they have slept through history, counting on the United States to defend them. And the United States, you know, what's the Victorian phrase? God helps those who help themselves. And they need to help themselves. And William Lay needs to walk the walk of being pro-Western and now actually do something about it. And so they need to increase their defense spending rather dramatically. But this buys the United States time to really embed what's already going on. Because Xi has scared the horses, and how has he done this? Uh, we've been through this again. He's a radical, unlike Dunn. He's impatient with history, like all revolutionaries, uh, and, and they tend to do very poorly because of their impatience with reality. But by bullying the Australians over the origins of COVID, by bullying the Filipinos over the South China Sea, by bullying the Japanese over the East China Sea, by stomping out Hong Kong, by oppressing the Uyghurs, by taking territory in the high Himalaya from the Indians, Xi is unwittingly, again, through mistakes, and we always assume that our enemies don't make any, and yet the graveyard of the 20th century is full of people who made huge mistakes about the resolve of the United States, from the Kaiser to Imperial Japan to Hitler to Stalin to Mao. They made a ton of mistakes. We, it wasn't just our cleverness, though. If you read The Last Best Hope, there was a lot of cleverness. We, we stand on the shoulders of giants. But the reality is that Xi has made upteen mistakes. He is not the strategist Deng Xiaoping was. And so all these countries who've been bullied and cajoled have seen the results and have began to band together. The AUKUS Anglosphere Defense Pact, which in theory is about nuclear submarines, but is about far more, unites Australia, Anglosphere country, Anglosphere UK, and the United States um, in an old-fashioned defense pact uh, that's going to give our nuclear submarines reach from Darwin on north. Uh, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., Taking over in the Philippines has led to a sea change as the Philippines have reverted to their traditional pro-American stance. He's even offered American basing in the northernmost islands of the Philippines, which could resupply Taiwan. Japan has promised to double defense spending. This is huge news, underreported news. This is due to, of course, the, the late, great Shinzo Abe, the great strategist of the region. And the United, uh, the Japanese, one of the three largest economies in the world, is going to double defense spending in five years. This is good news, plus provide the United States with basing in Okinawa to resupply Taiwan. So all these things have led the United States to be in a good position. And then the jewel in the crown, the quadrilateral initiative, the nascent grouping of countries that, that want to deter Chinese adventurism. And in the grouping is exactly who you'd want Great power Japan, rising great power stroke superpower to be India, Anglosphere member Australia, and the United States. The big four um, in the quadrilateral initiative now have a number of years to begin to work with Taiwan and band together and bed in these nascent alliance structures in the Indo-Pacific. All of that is very good news indeed, because the goal is not war, of course, but peace, that these groups get strong enough, that the alliances get strong enough, that people spend enough money on defense. Again, the Japanese are in a breakneck effort to rearm. The, the Indians are rearming at a quick rate. Australia, through its ties in AUKUS, 
rearming. Um, all this is great news. The Taiwanese now have to follow course and do it quickly. But the goal is to make Xi hesitate to see how difficult an invasion would be and to let the window pass. And then once these structures have been embedded by, say, 2030 or 2032, he can no longer invade because Chinese domestic problems uh, take over. The China's a peaking power and all its problems will make them become a status quo power if we can get through the next middle term. And this is the single most important geostrategic calculation and game being play, war game being played out there right now. Can we, the alliances, the pro-Western alliances move quickly enough to make Xi hesitate to get over the bump? Then Chinese demography, which is terrible, takes, takes hold. Chinese giving money to the inefficient state-owned enterprises. It's real estate crisis. It's local uh, government spending, which is a black box of terrible, but we don't know how terrible. All these things take hold. Xi worries about internal matters, competes with the United States, but peacefully within an American-dominated system. That is the goal. That is what we're trying to do. And William Lay's election makes this much more likely. The last and biggest bit of, bit of the puzzle is this. The Roosevelt Rule, which is the key finding of The Last Best Hope. Again, book's doing great. We're off to a really good start. Next weekend is the time when, our, when we start getting the publicity rolling out there. I'll talk more about that in the next podcast, and I'll give you the dates of everything coming. But we're off to a wonderful start, and I think with the publicity, we will tur turbocharge a very fine start into a great start. But the key finding of the Roosevelt Rule is the United States has to intervene only when either Europe or Asia, the two parts of the world island, are threatened by one great power. That is the basic textbook definition of when the United States should intervene. Taiwan and the Indo-Pacific meet that goal because if that first island chain, and, and again, have a look at a map, geopolitics, we forget the geo, the geography, is about from Japan and Taiwan down to the Philippines, down to Malaysia and Singapore to the Strait of Malacca and India, this is what we're talking about, and Indonesia's in there. The first island chain is all pro-American allies, and so the Chinese can't get their fleet and their trading vessels out into the deep blue waters of the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. The United States can economically has its foot on China's throat because of the first island chain. If Taiwan were to fall to China, that first island chain would be breached, and the Chinese Navy and Chinese commercial vessels, which already, in terms of trade, dominate the region due to shameful American neglect, uh, this would give them a huge advantage, and ultimately they would come to dominate the Indo-Pacific, and from the Indo-Pacific, all of Asia, and from Asia, all of the world. So Taiwan becomes the Berlin, for this reason, of geostrategy of the new Cold War. And this is what the United States must at all costs Avoid And so William Lay's election is not some little local election in a faraway country of which we know very little. Instead, William Lay's election is the key to the linchpin to the Indo-Pacific, the most important region in our new world. The good news, the very good news, is that Xi's offensive to try to have China dominate Taiwan and eventually take it over looks as far away as ever as William Lay's election and the Democratic People's Party election means the Taiwanese people simply aren't buying it, that nobody wants to be part of a system that oppresses the Uyghurs, stamps on its own college students, and bullies the region. 
And that is our great advantage going forward. And we shouldn't be shy, as Ronald Reagan would say, in pointing out our political superiority, because upon that rests our geostrategic superiority if we can be quick enough and if we can be smart in this most important region in the world. Thanks very much, and thanks for dealing with the marauding cats. Mandela is now sleeping on my desk, uh, which has gone away, having tried to disrupt the podcast and failed. She's now pouting. Uh, Thank you so much for all of you who listen regularly. Our community is growing in leaps and bounds, and I'm incredibly grateful. I love thinking aloud with you every week about what's going on. It's good for me, and I'm glad so many of you think it's good for you. For those of you who haven't subscribed yet, please do so. And for those of you who have, please do give the $70 we need a year, $7 a month, or better, $70 a year, uh, and we will keep them coming. On to, unless something happens in the world, Marvin Gaye and What's Going On, one of my favorite concept albums ever, where we get to talk about a sensitive African-American man looking at the chaos of the late 60s and trying to make sense of life. Until then, take care and please do buy The Last Best Hope, available now everywhere for sale. We look forward to its numbers continuing to go up and up and up. Thanks ever so much.